0: Welcome to the Holy Cross Sermon Podcast. This whole year we're exploring the life and teaching of Jesus in the book of Luke. We're in a series called Kingdom Life. We are looking at how Jesus taught believers to live. Join us now as we dive into another passage. Will you please pray with me? Now, O oh Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. You know, for sports fans like myself, one of the most frustrating things about the pandemic was the shutdown of all major sports back in mid-March. I'm sure many of you are disappointed about there being no March Madness in 2020, or maybe the NBA shutting down, perhaps it was the postponement of the baseball season, or maybe that there was no U.S. Masters Golf or French Open Tennis, etc., etc., but for me, the biggest loss was, of course, the English Premier Soccer League, and this was put on hold indefinitely. There was no certainty that it would ever come back and be concluded. And this was particularly hard because for those of you who know anything about it, my soccer team, Liverpool, at that time, who hadn't won the title in 30 years, 30 years, they were top of the league by 25 points with just nine games to go. It'd be like your college football team being 10-0 with three games to go and the closest rival being uh, 7-3. I know that's hard for the Gamecock fans to imagine, but... (laughs) Sorry. They did win yesterday, which is good. You know, it's pretty much a done deal at that stage, right? You know what's going to happen. There's no way they'll ever be caught. Well, after 30 years of no title, Liverpool were champions in the waiting. And yet, they would still have to wait until the season might restart and they could officially become champions. And if the season ended without being concluded properly, there'd always be an asterisk By the title. You know how fans are with that, right? They're going to taunt you about that. They'll say, You didn't really win that. You could have lost it. Well, it was an agonizing wait. And the good news was, for Liverpool fans anyway, that the season restarted in June, and a couple of weeks later, they were officially crowned champions. I was reminded of this as I was preparing to preach this week. You see, I think it's a good illustration of the kingdom of God, something we've been talking a lot about in 2020 as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. Much like fans of Liverpool Soccer Club this spring, followers of Jesus live in the now, but not yet. The now, but not yet. But not because of a sports competition, of course. Rather, it's because of God's kingdom, his rule and reign in the world. Yes, we know that by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he is in the kingdom of God here on earth now. However, we're not yet able to see the complete rule and reign of God's kingdom. It's what theologians call the now but not yet of the kingdom. And at times it can seem like such an agonizing weight as we experience creation groaning, as Paul puts it, and the sickness and the suffering that we live, in, we live with each day, as well as the evil of mankind being played out in the world around us. Well, in our passage from Luke's gospel today, Jesus explains what this means. And what we'll see is that the kingdom of God is within the grasp of, of all people, if they will just reach out and receive it. So let's turn to our reading from Luke chapter 17. Feel free to pull out your Bible, pull out your Bible phone app, or just use the screen ahead of you and follow along. And what we see in the first section is it's all to do with the now. The kingdom is here Don't miss it. The kingdom is here, friends. Don't miss it. As Chris Warner, our rector, spoke about last week, the Pharisees, they're the ones who are speaking to Jesus right here, and they're the religious leaders of the day. They also carry political weight too. They're expecting the kingdom of God to come in the future. And they're hoping... For this kingdom to be ushered in by the arrival of a Messiah, a military person, someone who will come and will cast out the Romans from Israel and will restore Israel to its former glory. And so in verses 20 and 21, Luke writes this. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is... Is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God that they're waiting for is here now. It's here now. Not in the way they're expecting, but in a much more incredible way. You see, God has humbled himself, he's come down to earth in the flesh, and is living amongst his creation. One commentator writing about the Pharisees says this. The kingdom was standing in their midst in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The irony here was huge because they were arrogantly and unknowingly asking the kingdom's king, indeed the king of kings, when his kingdom would come. Reminds me of that TV show. Have you ever seen Undercover Boss? Anyone seen that show? Yeah? you know. And if you haven't seen it, it's where the boss of a large company puts on a disguise of some kind and then he works for a week on the factory floor of his own company. And the purpose is to find out what do the employees really think of the business and is there a way that they can actually improve it? And all the while, the employees are oblivious to who he is until there's a big reveal, of course, at the end of the show. Now, for some of the employees, this proves to be a pretty pleasant surprise. They've been working hard, they've said good things to the boss, they've perhaps proven helpful. But for those who badmouthed the company that week, it's not a good situation, right? And there can be disciplinary consequences. And the same is true for the kingdom of God. For those who don't recognize the Messiah under their very noses, such as the Pharisees, there will be consequences. The good news, though, is that the kingdom is in the midst of us, as Jesus puts it here. Let's hold on to that. The Greek phrase used here is implying that the kingdom of God is within our grasp. You can reach out and grasp it no further than, say, there all there it's within their grasp and so it confronts us with a decision if this is true the decision is will I believe and trust and follow Jesus and it therefore is also an invitation to participate in the work of God as N.T. Wright puts it God's sovereign plan to put the world to rights is waiting for you to sign on God's sovereign plan to put the works uh, the world to rights is waiting for you to sign on We are not called to be bystanders, friends not called to be bystanders not just fans on the sidelines no we are called to enter into the work of the kingdom of god to get on the field to get on the pitch whatever you might call it right here and right now and participate and it's not about being a nice person or being a dutiful citizen or checking the church attendance box every other sunday no it's about helping people to experience god's healing love in a broken world through the proclamation of the good news of jesus christ both in word and indeed, bringing freedom to the captives, healing to the sick, belonging to the alienated, forgiveness to the canceled, and hope to the hopeless. It's so much more than we have allowed ourselves to even dream of. Do not miss what is staring you in the face. The kingdom is in our midst, within our grasp. But then we move on to the second section of our passage, and it's the not yet. We've had the now, but we've also got the not yet. The kingdom is coming. Get ready. The kingdom's coming. Get ready. In the second part of our passage, Jesus turns to his disciples, and he explains that while, yes, the kingdom's here now, it's also coming in the future. It's not yet fully realized. And so, first of all, he tells them, don't be tempted to speculate. Verses 22 and 23. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming When you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or Look here. Do not go out or follow them. You know, in the midst of a global pandemic, it can be tempting to speculate about the end of the world. You have probably heard people do that over the last six months or so, right? Many believers at one time or another during this past six or seven months have probably wished that Jesus would just return to this world and end the suffering. And so we look for signs and we speculate about this event or that event, but that's a misguided thing to do. That's what Jesus is saying here. And instead of speculating about things that we cannot know, we should be preparing our hearts by seeking after Jesus. We see, as the Apostle Paul put it in today's epistle reading from First Thessalonians, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, no one knows when it will happen. And in Mark chapter 13, we discover that not even Jesus knows, only the Father knows. But in fact, more than this, to speculate is to miss the point. To quote N.T. Wright once more, for us to try to read God's secret code off of the pages of the newspapers may look clever, We may even get a reputation for spiritual insight, but actually we're doing it because we have forgotten where the true key to understanding is now to be found. See, there's no need to speculate about dates and places. We don't need to worry about that. The key to understanding the world and what's going on, what really matters, has already been given to us. It's the resurrection of Jesus. It's the defining event of all of human history. It stands right there in the middle of all of human history. His victory over death. This is the launch of the new creation of God and his saving rule on earth. But in order for this to happen, Jesus then tells his disciples that something else must happen first. He must suffer and be rejected. Verses 24 and 25. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Here we see that Jesus, the Son of Man, is going to suffer and be rejected. Note though that while his first coming may seem to end up in failure, his second coming will be an unmistakable, Triumphant and glorious occasion, like when you see lightning flash in the sky. You know, I remember my first summer here in South Carolina, and I remember driving up to a retreat in Saluda, North Carolina. You've probably made that trip yourself. Up 26, you gradually start to come up to the mountains. And suddenly, right up ahead of me was this incredible lightning storm. Big bolts of lightning flashing everywhere. It was one of the most incredible things I'd ever seen. Because coming from the UK, you know, everything's just a little bit smaller, right? In the States, everything's a lot bigger. In England, it's smaller. And even the lightning storms are smaller. This was so powerful. It was incredible to behold. I'd never seen anything like it. And it just blew me away. Well, such will be the coming of Jesus. His first coming may have been more subtle to this quiet backwater in the middle of the world. But his second coming will be seen by everyone. It will be something that cannot be missed. But first, he will have to suffer and be rejected unlike the gods of other religions, our God is one who enters in and suffers for you and for me. That is his love for us. And it's prophesied repeatedly repeatedly in the Old Testament. It's the necessary price for our salvation, the only way it can happen. And Jesus saying this here, as he did again after his resurrection, he's preparing the disciples to wait for the not yet, for the agonizing of why isn't it fully as we thought it would be? He's preparing them. You see, this rejection of Jesus will Go on and on around the world until the end of time. It has been happening for 2,000 years. And it's happening in our country. It's happening in cities and neighborhoods all over America. Well, using two Old Testament illustrations from the days of Noah and Lot. Jesus graphically depicts what this is like. Verses 26 through 32. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed." On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field turn back. Remember Lot's Lot's wife. What Jesus is saying here is that in many ways, the last days will be surprisingly normal. They will look surprisingly normal. When Jesus returns, people will be preoccupied with the mundane things of life. Now, these aren't in themselves bad things to be concerned with, whether it's better homes or cars, gardening, menus, feasts, friends, marriage, children. These are all good things. Except... If we get so preoccupied with them that they cause us to neglect to notice what God is doing in our midst and to be more concerned about our quality of lifestyle than our desire to live for the kingdom of God. Then they become unhealthy distractions. As Kent Hughes puts it, according to Jesus, people's problem was their regular, everyday activities. It was not their sin, as great as it was, that damned them to destruction. It was their indifference. They were so preoccupied with normal life that they rarely had a thought above the mundane. They rarely had a thought above the mundane. Wow. (laughs) If I could sum up our culture in one sentence, it might be that. They rarely had a thought above the mundane. Now I know this is a struggle that I have, and so I'm guessing it's a struggle for many of you too. You know, we simply engage in day-to-day living with no concern for God, consumed by going from one thing to the next. And uh, I know that the pandemic maybe slowed us down for a while, maybe for a couple of months, but for many of us, like myself, we're launching right back into the busyness of life, going from the store to work, to soccer practice, to Netflix, to the next sports match, to social media, to the restaurant, to the gym, and so on. Never stopping for long enough to see the work of the kingdom of God happening right Right around us right now, not being on the lookout for the return of Jesus to fulfill the not yet of the kingdom. And much as Lot's wife experienced God's judgment for her desire to just hold on to the things of the world, so will we who cannot let go and let God reign over all of our lives, not just our Sunday mornings. Which leads us to the last few verses of our passage where Jesus reminds the disciples that only those who follow him will be saved. Verses 33 through 37. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Jesus now gives us the most critical statement of this passage. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Jesus is explaining the need to let go of the world and all it has to offer, money, possessions, power, etc., so we can put our full trust in him. You know, ironically, the constant hedging of one's life with things, home, investments, retirement, trying to keep one's life, is the guaranteed way to lose it. No, we have to hold loosely to the things of this world. Our time, our talents, our treasure, they're all meant to be used for the glory of God. And when we don't, we end up as corpses. And so Jesus closes by using this dark image of vultures descending on the dead corpse of someone who's chosen to ignore the warning that they've been given. Yes, Jesus' second coming may be a surprise, but none of us can claim to be surprised about the judgment that will fall on those who continue to live like the walking dead. So what do we do with this? It's a tough passage, isn't it? It's tough. And yet, I think it offers so much hope. You see the kingdom of God is here among us already. It's waiting to be grasped by those who are willing to give their lives to follow Jesus. The danger though is that our hearts become hard and we'll be like the Pharisees. We'll kind of be doing this, right? When we hear it, we go, la 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 la. You know, I just heard you proclaim the gospel to me, but I don't want to respond, because that's gonna be way too costly for me, right? La 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 la. Just keep doing that. And we won't see the truth, even if it's standing right there in front of us. We won't see it. You know, so many people are walking around blindly, both outside of the church, but also within the church. Not experiencing the fullness of knowing Jesus Christ for who he is. Perhaps they're fearful of what truly following him might mean. Perhaps they're unwilling to relinquish control to him. And yet true freedom only comes when we do just that. That's when true freedom comes. When we ask him to be in charge of our lives and we submit all that we are and all that we have to his kingdom rule. So what are you waiting for? Ask him to be your king today. And if you've already done that, then live into the words of Paul in our epistle reading. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Friends, we have nothing to fear, nothing to fear. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we have been destined for salvation because Jesus died for us. Because of his great love for us, Christ took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross, the darkness of sin and misery. He died for us so that we might live. And as believers, we now have a new identity as people of the day, not of the night. This good news gives us confidence and it gives us hope both now and for the future. This is the hope we have. And this is the hope we are called to share with an anxious and preoccupied world. And in the midst of a global pandemic, it could never be more relevant. Who will you share it with today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of the now, but not yet. Thank you that you are here in our midst, present right now by your Holy Spirit. Yes, you have ascended to heaven, but you sent your spirit to work among us. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Help us to grasp you right now. And Lord God, we also thank you that while creation is groaning now and there is sickness and suffering, we know that one day there will be no more mourning, no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain, that that is where we are destined to be if we choose to follow you. We are grateful for the new heaven and the new earth that you will bring about in the fullness of time. Help us to be patient now and to prepare our hearts to meet with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.